Everybody gets a piece, we're going mainstream. Everybody's gonna eat, we're going mainstream. All my family is singing. See you on mainstream, we're going mainstream. Wall Street to Melrose Avenue. We're going mainstream. Venture capitalists to athletes to we're creators. I'm thrilled to kick off the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast with a special guest, one of the leaders in the alt industry, Lawrence Calcano of iCapital Network. Lawrence has built iCapital into one of the category-defining companies in the alt space. They've democratized access to high-quality alternative investment products for the wealth management industry. Lawrence and the iCapital team have built the de facto operating system for the wealth management community to invest in and access leading institutional quality alternative investment fund managers. They've grown to almost 70 billion of AUM across 740 funds and 125,000 underlying accounts in less than seven years. In the past year alone, iCapital grew their platform assets by over $20 billion and raised $162 million from top growth and strategic investors, including Pingon, BlackRock, Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, Hamilton Lane, and Westcap. Lawrence has had an illustrious career as a banker and operator. Prior to iCapital, he was a partner and co-head of the global tech banking group at Goldman Sachs, where he spent over 17 years advising tech companies on many landmark M&A and IPO deals. He was named to the Forbes Midas list of influential people in venture capital for five out of six years from 2001 to 2006. And now, his second act as an entrepreneur at iCapital may top his first act as a partner at Goldman. We had a great discussion about how to build an alts platform in the wealth management community, why iCapital serves such a big need for wealth managers and banks, how iCapital thinks about democratization of access, and focuses on diligence, education, and quality control in their platform. I hope you enjoy. We're going mainstream. Lawrence, welcome to the first Alt Goes Mainstream podcast. iCapital is one of the leading companies in the alternative investment space, so it's great to have you on. I, I appreciate the honor of being here and, and starting this off is, is, is quite the honor. And I think, as I said to you before, we're setting a low bar for your future guests. So that's a good thing. Well, if this is a low bar, then, then it's a pretty good low bar to start from. Excited to have you on and would love for, for you to share a bit about iCapital. What's the what and the why of iCapital? So we're really trying to help everybody have success in their engagement in alternative investing. When we started the company back in 2013, 14, we looked at this really large and growing population, registered investment advisors, many of whom had left wirehouse platforms. And in leaving those platforms, they didn't really have access to alts in the same way. They didn't have the thorough, thoughtful diligence that the wirehouses were providing. They didn't have the operational support, which is so critical in these kinds of investments. And so in that context, we felt like we could really provide a solution for those advisors to be able to offer the institutional quality, kind of top shelf, first quartile alternative investment managers to their clients. And that was really the beginning of the road. And as we got into it, I think one of the really exciting things is we stepped back and we realized there's a whole infrastructure that needs to get built. This was an asset class that was really completely manual, even at the wirehouses to a great extent. And so we could come in and create automation which would allow this whole process to be much easier. We would give advisors and their clients access, and we would also enable the GPs, 
who are obviously a very important part of this, you know, e- ecosystem to be able to reach a very fragmented universe of independent advisors. And, and that's really been the driving motivation, create automation, create ease of use, create access and give everybody a chance to have great success in this asset class. So then you talked about both GPs, you talk about advisors, their end clients. How do you think about your customer and and who are your customers? To, To a great extent, all of those folks I mentioned are customers. We are B2B business, so we're focused on helping advisors achieve success for their clients in the asset class. And on the GP side, we're focused on giving GPs the automation to access this very fragmented universe of investors. If you go back, alternatives have largely been an institutional asset class. And so GPs were used to facing off with one investor, CalPERS, that would write a $500 million check or make a $500 million commitment to their fund. And so technology was nice, but not really needed. And now when you're a GP facing off against investors that might write $100,000 tickets, all of a sudden, you might have thousands of them. So technology was really critical to be able to process that. So we provide the GPs with all the technology and, and oversight and management to deal with this channel for them, which is newer. And we also provide access and distribution as well when the fund goes through the due diligence process that we offer. 10 years ago, this may have been something that might not have been possible because investors may not have wanted access to alternatives or there may, from a regulatory perspective, may not have been able to get access. What what were some of the things that made iCapital possible and why did you decide to build the business the way you did at this point in time? It's a great question because others made different decisions. Our view was it wasn't just about diligence, which we provide. It wasn't just about distribution, which we provide. It wasn't just about the ecosystem and and the technology and the processing, which we provide. It was really about all of those things. And we believed that the right answer for the industry and for the company that we thought could really serve the industry was to build an end-to-end solution. And that means everything from all the curation up front, through the diligence, the sourcing, the education, which is so critical to this asset class, and then all the technology to process the subdocs in whatever form they come in, and then to manage the life cycle, which is quite different than a, a stock in, or a bond investment. There are capital calls, distributions, quarterly reports, or monthly reports. There are redemptions in the case of hedge funds. Being able to automate all of that and help the advisor offer the products that they thought were suitable and appropriate for their clients, but not have to invest in the full infrastructure to be able to do that. So we thought that was the winning solution for the industry. And as we've gone on, I think our view on that has only been further solidified. We hear from different folks. We hear from GPs. We hear from bank platforms. We hear from independent advisors, independent broker-dealers about what they need. And because we invested and built all of it, we can provide solutions and we just do it on a modular basis. So if somebody doesn't need a part of our solution, we turn that off. And and the other thing I'd say is beyond the constituents we've already mentioned, there are other third parties like administrators, like transfer agents, like custodians. And we're also spending a lot of time building the piping into those entities so we can make the entire journey automated. And it's almost like buying a mutual fund. Schwab changed how people bought mutual funds by being able to do it on an automated fashion. We would like to bring that same functionality to the world of alternatives. You're bringing up a great point there, which is 
creating the pipes to enable various participants to connect with each other and invest. And I think this was a key insight that you developed relatively early on in building iCapital, connecting into some of the third parties in the industry like Custodians, Fidelity, Schwab, TD, and enabling them to then bring their constituents, the wealth managers, the RIAs, into the ability to buy alts. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you figured that out? Because not just for iCapital, but for the development of the alt space, that's such a critical piece of what you're trying to do. Sure. As I mentioned earlier, it's more complicated to buy an alternative investment than it is to buy any other product, like a stock or a bond or any of the liquid products. And it really starts at the beginning because people don't always have access. If you can't make a $100 million or $500 million commitment, you may not get access to the best managers. And unlike the liquid investment space, getting access to the right managers is massively important to your success in the asset class. There's a very wide dispersion of returns in this asset class. And so part of what we wanted to be able to do is make sure people could get access to the best managers in the space, whether it's any of the private capital spaces like private equity, private debt, private real estate, private infrastructure, or any of the hedge strategies. So getting access to the right managers is key. The other really important thing is the advisors come at this with a different level of experience and expertise in the space. And so one of the things that we've invested a lot in is education. And that's an ongoing journey. We just recently acquired a company that built compliance and education products for the marketplace that will complement some of the other things that we've already built. And we think that's really, really important. And by the way, that's important for all the players. When you talk to GPs, when you talk to advisors, when you talk to the custodians, everybody is focused on how to create an educated infrastructure. So we think we have a lot to play there. And so when you play out the different components that we bring to the table, really everybody has an interest in making sure that people are learning about appropriately these investments. They understand how they fit into the portfolio. These are generally very illiquid investments compared to other investments people might be more used to making. So they have to understand that. They have to understand where it fits into the portfolio, how it fits into the portfolio. And so there's a series of things that we're focused on investing in to, as I said, help everybody have a successful journey in this asset class, whether you're a general partner, or an advisor serving clients, or any of the other infrastructure providers, we're trying to help this whole ecosystem move forward. And I think if we do a good job at that, all the people that we work with are going to have great success. And as I say to our company every day, if our clients are successful, our success will follow. So you bring up the point of education. Let's step back and look at the 40,000 foot view of that. Why is education so important to the investors in this who are thinking about investing into private market assets? Sure. So these assets have a number of characteristics that are just different than characteristics investors might be used to or advisors might be used to advising on. I I mentioned liquidity before. Many of these funds you make long-term commitments to, whereas you could buy a stock or a bond and be able to sell it or a mutual fund and be able to sell it relatively quickly. And most of these products, even if they're hedge funds where there's liquidity maybe on a quarterly basis, that's still different than what you're used to investing in. Private equity funds, as you know, are much longer-lived. So helping people understand first how these investments behave. What are their characteristics? 
How do they work so you can understand where they might fit into your portfolio? And then, as I said earlier, the type of diligence you do on these investments is different than what you might be doing on your liquid book. And and you're evaluating managers. And I think for the majority of high net worth investors today, investing through a fund where you have professionals running that money is probably a better strategy. For others, they can invest in direct deals in private companies and pieces of real estate, et cetera. But for the bigger part of the market, investing through funds is probably a better strategy. And so helping them understand how the different managers stack up. It's a much more complex diligence process. And you're evaluating not just the firm's track record, but the individual's track records, how they do, how closely they stay to their strategy. Do they have style drift? There's a number of things that we look at. And all of that is trying to help the advisor and client have a successful experience investing in this asset class. And and I'd say, Michael, one last thing, we're building this business for the long term. We actually think that we're still in the very early days of people really allocating dollars into the asset class. You turn the TV on, you see the 60-40 portfolios becoming 50-30-20 portfolios with alts becoming a core part of those portfolios. So we see this as a very long-tailed and exciting journey. But the only way all of us will be on that journey is if investors have successful outcomes. And, And that means proper education. It means that there's a number of people who should not invest in these assets because it doesn't really fit what they need in their portfolios. And so from our perspective, we'd rather have people not invest in the assets because it's not the right thing for them than to have them invest, have some short-term benefit, and then have it blow up and it end badly for folks. So it's a long process and we're still in the early innings. So you mentioned about investors maybe needing to understand why they're investing in this asset class, number one, and then why they're investing in specific funds within this asset class. You consciously decided to create a curated platform where experts, both internally, you have a diligence team, and externally, so the partners you work with, whether it's the wealth management platforms, the wirehouses, they all have their own diligence teams, are vetting these funds and investment products. Why did you go that route versus build a truly open marketplace like we've seen much of tech companies do? So I think part of it really relates to what we just talked about. And our early view was more was less in a sense that if we put out to people everything, it would be more confusing and less helpful than if we started with a curated menu that our team had spent a lot of time doing institutional style due diligence. We felt like that would be much more helpful to the marketplace. And as the markets evolve, then we'll evolve as things change. And so recently we've had a number of CIOs say to us, CIOs of RIAs and IBDs say, we know a lot of GPs, for example, are using your technology in a white label context. We want to know all the things that you're working on, even if you haven't done the diligence, because those are are tech related deals. We want to see what you're working on. We want to see what's in the market. And so we had been providing roadmaps or, or maps, if you will, of each of the subsectors. And we'd sit down with an RIA or the CIO at an RIA and share with them, here are the, the managers in the growth space coming to market or the buyout space coming to market. And, and what we're hearing now is people have begun to invest more in alternatives. They want to see the bigger landscape. So I think as time evolves, we'll have different tiers within iCapital. 
We'll have a tier that's focused on the curated menu for the part of our audience that just really wants to see that which we've curated, and they'll focus there. And then we'll have other areas where we can educate people on a broader set of offerings that are in the market for them to look at and consider. And we think that's just part of the natural evolution of the space. Mm -hmm. Well, this balance of curation versus letting people choose also brings up, I think, a really interesting point when it comes to the private markets, which you touched on this a little bit before, which is that there's a subset of funds that will far outperform other funds within the space. So that's even more protracted in areas like venture capital, where there's probably only a small select set of funds that you want to be in. So walk us through some of the ways in which the private markets are so different from the public markets and how people may be used to thinking about investing. I think if you go back and look at the history of the public markets, the number of companies that you can invest in the public markets have shrunk pretty dramatically. I think we're sub 4,000 public companies in the United States today. And yet there are, you know, north of 100,000 private companies that are exciting investable companies. And so the private markets allow you to get access to a much larger universe of companies. And we all see what happens to the, the FANG stocks, the sort of handful of stocks that get all the attention. It's just a more limited universe. But when you go to the private sector, and this is why, again, we say it's probably better for people to invest through funds, because those funds are doing the work. They're canvassing the marketplace. They're doing the diligence that they can do with more detailed information than maybe an individual in- investor can do on their own. So we think investing in the private Uh, markets gives people access to a much larger universe of funds. And I think if you look at the data, Cambridge has published many studies on this, the returns to private market investing have on a consistent basis outperformed the public markets. That doesn't mean that in a given six month or 12 month period, the public markets might have a big run, but over time, over three, five, 10, 15, 20 years, the private markets have outperformed. So we think there's definitely a a place in the portfolio for private assets for folks and even hedge funds as well, which provide protection, defensiveness, uncorrelated investment alternatives for individual investors. We've talked about the LP side, so providing access, which you're doing in a variety of ways. On the GP side, why do they want access to the high net worth and wealth management communities? There's a lot of dollars in this space. It's a multi-trillion dollar market. And these funds have historically, as I said earlier, targeted offerings to institutions. And the reality is that there are no new pension funds being formed these days. And so it's a way for them to get access to a a larger marketplace to offer their products. And so that's a big driver to be able to attract new investors to their strategies. And it allows many to offer additional strategies. Maybe if you're a venture investor, you see enough to be able to, you know, then offer growth strategies or growth investors that then want to offer buyout strategies. And so having access to a larger marketplace allows them to grow their business. I I would just say, Michael, though, I I think at the end of the day, this is where this sort of diligence piece becomes really critical. And I think you're really helping GPs come to market, you present it in the right way with thoughtful research and diligence, which we share with investors. So people, again, know what they're buying and and know the relative strengths of the different managers. You could be an amazing growth fund manager, but not be a great buyout manager or a great growth manager, but not be a good venture manager. And so part of what we're trying to do is sort that out for folks. And I think as we do that, we're doing a service to both 
the LPs, but we're also doing a service to the GPs as well. Let's pull the string on that a little further, because I think you've hit on what is definitely a trend in the venture world where there's these quote unquote aircraft carrier like GPs who built platforms out. Andreessen is one that comes to mind where they built a multi-product, multi-strategy platform in the venture and now growth world. And a lot of other funds are becoming larger funds. Hedge funds are coming downstream and doing growth and late stage investing. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what you just said about GPs realizing that they can access a broader universe of capital and then maybe expanding their offerings of different strategies as a result of the fact they now are opened up to this whole new channel of investors. Yeah, look, I would say this was happening before the introduction of, you know, GPs into this high net worth marketplace. This is not a phenomenon that's uniquely enabled by this strategy. So just to be clear, GPs have been expanding their investment mandate, you know, within their institutional marketplace for many, many years. And so this is a a continuation of that vis-a-vis the high net worth channel. But like anything else, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at something else. And so I, I think the burden on these managers that do this is to go out and make sure they're bringing in the right people to, to be able to you know demonstrate a real experience set in the new asset class they're investing in. But I do think that for many of the investors, not to comment on one manager or another, but many of the, the firms that have been around a while have developed very good reputations. And the way to continue the, those reputations as they expand their products is to bring in people with great experience so that what they've provided in venture returns, they're able to you know, emulate and, and replicate it in their growth strategies or their buyout strategies. And so I think that's the key thing. It's one of the things we're looking for all the time when we deal with managers like this is to make sure that their skill base is every bit as profound in the newer area they're going into as it was in their old area. And let's now circle back and talk about the LP side. So are LPs demanding access to alts from their advisors, the end clients, the high net worth individuals, to walk us through their thought process and, and how much they're demanding alts to their advisors? I would tell you, I think this is continuing to grow. We see this in the outreach from advisors who maybe historically have been less involved with alts, but are now having a lot of their clients asking them about being able to provide alternative investments for them so that they can build out the kind of portfolios they want to have. And so I think it's a growing trend. There are already a number of obviously very sophisticated advisors that have been offering alternative investments. The wirehouses have been offering alternative investments for years to their clients quite successfully. And they've obviously invested in significant due diligence capabilities as as well as the ability to bring in the core managers. And so I think this trend continues and it's for the reasons we talked about earlier, returns, diversification, et cetera. And just like institutions have funding gaps or future gaps, so too to individuals in terms of what they're saving for and what they might need to have in retirement, et cetera. So I think a lot of the same trends are driving the individual need for for these assets, but they need to be educated. The institutions have lots of folks doing the work and the advisors need that same support system to be able to provide the best of breed product to their clients. And do you think that advisors who provide alternative assets to their clients 
end up either attracting more clients or keeping clients as a result versus advisors who, who don't have those offerings? I think so. And obviously, that, that not to make a self-serving comment, we have a number of advisors that have onboarded us explicitly because they believe that the wealthier investors need this. We've heard this from a number of folks where most advisors are trying to add wealthier clients over time, and those clients do demand to see alternative investments. And so we are able to provide you know, those solutions for an advisor looking to grow his or her practice. And so I think that's a trend. I think it's going to continue. And as I said earlier, I think we're going to get to a place where you're going to have an allocation to alts in most portfolios of folks. And the key is just making sure that the advisor and the client really understand, you know, what, if any, alternative should be there and then what types of alternatives. So there's lots of different strategies you can invest in. So making sure they understand the liquidity characteristics, the return characteristics, how they perform relative to the rest of the portfolio. This is another area where we've made a lot of investments in terms of building out products to help advisors understand how, if I add this alternative investment to a client portfolio, what will happen to the expected risk and return? And so helping advisors think about portfolio construction is, I think, the next really important thing that we're going to spend a lot more time on, again, in the name of trying to help people have successful outcomes with these products. So that's actually a really interesting point in terms of the future evolution of the industry. And you've seen now a lot of consumer fintechs rebundle. So they may have started in a certain area and then rebundle and add, whether it's lending or banking or savings or investing. You mentioned that you want to help advisors and their clients understand their total portfolio. Does this mean that you have to figure out how to get beyond the world of alternatives and figure out how to help clients understand their entire portfolio? I think we need to help people understand alts in the context of their portfolio. So I don't see us offering advice to people on what stocks and bonds they buy, but I do see us trying to provide people with the tools to understand how alternative investing impacts their portfolio. And I think that's a pretty important part of you know, what we're trying to provide as an alt platform is helping people, again, make good decisions in this asset class. And it's a journey. This is, again, early, early days here. And I think there'll continue to be a lot more done on the education side. We've got some exciting developments we expect here in the next uh, month or so, and a lot more work to be done on the analytical side for helping people to understand, as I said before, the risk and return implications of the portfolio. And by the way, it's not going to necessarily be an iCapital only journey. We've got some amazing partners that BlackRock, Blackstone, Carlyle, many of the banks, I see us partnering as well. And I see us partnering, continuing to partner because we've been partnering, but partner on the education piece, partnering on the analytical frameworks, that people might use to understand these assets. This is not a a journey that we're going to go alone. We think there's a lot to be done together. And I firmly believe that the whole industry needs to and has to invest a lot in this educational component. Again, nobody benefits. There's a bunch of blowups with these assets. It doesn't do any GPs any good. Certainly doesn't do the advisor and client any good. And it's certainly not good for us as well as a consequence. So I think the whole industry needs to invest in in education. We're happy to play our part, both in terms of investing and delivery. And and I think if people have a long-term perspective on, on this asset class, the odds of everybody having a successful outcome are that much higher. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned that you've had a number of strategic investors, whether it be banks or product manufacturers, or more recently, Ping An, an Asian insurance company, just led a $146 million round last year. Tell us why you've gone the route of bringing in so many strategic investors and why that's been so important for the business. I'm a huge believer in alignment of interests. And I think that by having a cap table with strategic partners, it creates a lot of alignment. And and whether those are the manufacturers or the distribution platforms, we have aligned interest in trying to bring you know the best to the marketplace. As we're more than half our company are folks focused on products and product development and so forth. And I'm talking about technology when I say that. Really understanding the industry, what the needs are from the distribution side, whether you're a wirehouse, an IBD, or an RIA, as well as from the manufacturing side, whether you're a private equity fund, a hedge fund, et cetera. Understanding their unique needs allows us to actually build the products and services that really serve the whole industry. And so the alignment we've been able to create with these investors has been phenomenal. And look, they're incredibly smart. They're incredibly demanding. And so we got to be on our toes all the time. It's certainly a lot more work with this investor base, but it's well worth it. And I think that alignment of interest helps create, again, a higher probability of success in the ecosystem for all involved. Well, you've also partnered with a number of the large banks as a result of that, too. You've, in, in essence, taken on their alternative investment capabilities in some cases. What, what has that been the result of? And why would they want to partner with you instead of continuing to do this themselves? So the banks have been offering, as I said earlier, alternatives for quite a while to their clients. And they've been doing it largely with a manual infrastructure. And I I remember having conversations with the the various folks who run these alternatives businesses, and and they all want to grow the businesses. Just like we talked about 60-40 becoming 50-30-20, they would like to, to grow these businesses. And when you read the various CIO reports at the banks, they're all calling for greater alt allocation. And so a lot of the banks are stepping back and saying, What's the right way to scale the business? And I think in many respects, the answer is automation. And so we've provided that automation really to the industry. And I think to a great extent, a number of the industry participants like the fact that there's a gathering around a platform that they can rely on, like the market relies on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, having an alts infrastructure that they know is getting significant investment, is focused on you know, IT security, focused on functionality, focused on all the things that they focus on. And they're all using, I think, gives them comfort that this is being built out the right way. So we're focused on that. And we think as we build this out, they can scale their businesses using that automation that they probably would not be building internally. So we think that's really an exciting opportunity. And again, it creates really high alignment of interest between those banks and ourselves. Well, you mentioned NASDAQ, you mentioned NYSE. Equities went through electronification as that market infrastructure improved, fixed income went through that as well. You were in the tech world since the 90s. Do you think that the alternative investments landscape goes through a similar market structure evolution that equities, fixed income, et cetera, have gone through? I remember well in the 90s when I was running technology banking at Goldman at the time, and the internet was changing everything. And a lot of the banks began to create systems where they could trade bonds or trade equities and so forth. And I think what a lot of people figured out was it's hard to get liquidity in a single dealer system that, that implementing the technology helped improve that process, but it didn't necessarily change the market dynamics. 
and, and, and that's where you started to see then people starting to come together and banks partnering in terms of bringing these electronic infrastructures together. And that's basically what we're doing is we're partnering with the industry to create this marketplace to allow all of them to benefit, to drive the cost down, which benefits the end investors and creates efficiency. And I'll mention one other thing, Michael, which is in this pandemic, which we're all working together to get through, most of the world is remote. And historically, these subscription documents are all, they're paper, they're manual, FedEx packages flying everywhere, but nobody's in their office to get them. And, and I think what that's highlighted to a lot of our clients is that this automation concept isn't just about efficiency and making it easier and less expensive. It's about business continuity as well. And so a lot of what's happened in the last six months, a lot of our clients are looking to adopt even more of the platforms that we offer to create end-to-end automation. Because again, who knows when we're all going to be back together in a more normal environment. That automation is pretty essential to continuing to keep the trains running on, on, on the tracks. Well, you talk about bringing the entire industry together, creating the infrastructure, and you've really built a platform that enables both the product manufacturers and the consumers of these products to come together What's the ultimate vision for iCapital? At the end of the day, we want to be a platform that people rely on to have success. I say this probably, and, and, and you might remember this, but over and over and over again, I say to our team, look, there are two things that matter. One is that we work together as a team and two, that we do everything to help our clients be successful. And that's what drives us. And I think we're going to keep adding more functionality to the business, I, I've mentioned a few, obviously the educational initiatives, the portfolio construction and, and risk initiatives, a number of those things. I, I haven't really talked about liquidity, but we're, we're adding, we've added liquidity, institutional-like liquidity to these asset classes because we think it's important. And we're going to continue to add more functionality to the ecosystem, more functionality for the GPs, more functionality for the LPs, more connectivity to the ecosystem partners that are so important, and hopefully continue to do that in a way that adds value to all our clients. And if we can stay focused and can do that, I I think our success will will follow that of our clients and partners. And when is the day in your mind that it becomes as easy to invest into private market assets as it does to become an invest in public market assets? I think we're a little ways away from that. You got to pull the whole ecosystem together. So I think there's a lot of work to do and there's a process of getting from you know where to somewhere and it involves everything from recognition, I need to do something, then the ability to do something and then the implementation. And so I, I do think we have more work to do, but I think every day we're making it easier. And I think our clients today, and, and I think about our large bank clients that have, that have already achieved great success by bringing all their alternative investments in one place. I think of what we're doing at UBS and Morgan Stanley in bringing their investments in one place. So their financial advisors can literally see all the investments they've made in one place, improvements we've made on the front end from the the perspective of their compliance processes, their education processes, their sub-doc processing processes, we're making it easier. And so every day we see the improvements. We see the work we're doing with Blackstone and Millennium in terms of helping them scale to an even larger marketplace. We're supporting Blackstone and BlackRock globally 
as they sell products everywhere with the infrastructure and tools to make that easy. Same with Millennium. And so we're, we are absolutely charged up at what we're seeing and the improvement and the benefit we're seeing our clients get. Um, when you get the whole infrastructure, your question, it's going to take a little while longer, but it's incredibly rewarding to see the benefits that this has already brought to the marketplace. And it, it motivates the heck out of us to you know, drive in for even more success for our clients. And then when you think about different products that can be offered, your platform, so you can offer all sorts of alternative products and you have created a menu. Now you're seeing people invest into various alternative assets that may be a little bit further out on the curve, whether it's collectibles or cars or trading cards, things of that nature. Are, are you seeing demand for some of these, we'll call them alt-alt assets from the high net worth channel? So look, it's been a journey. We started with the private equity and the various flavors of private equity, and we added you know, more to that private capital, real estate, growth, buyout, venture, et cetera, infrastructure. We added hedge funds in 2016, and we continue to add products where we work with people now on direct deals. We work with people now on direct pieces of real estate. And, and I would imagine we're going to continue to drive the ball forward. And I would expect soon that we would have an offering in digital currency. We'll have an offering in ESG, and, th and that'll be very broad because to me, ESG is not just about a set of investments that you offer. It's about how you run your business, how the asset managers run their business. It's a much more comprehensive analysis that we think is part of ESG and impact generally. And so we'll continue to add more and more of these alternative investments that we think play a role in people's portfolios. And by the way, none of them will be right for everybody. That's for sure. And so again, we'll try to wrap all those new offerings in a process by which we educate people and help them find their way to the things that actually help their portfolios and stay away from the things that don't. Yep. Well, you built this platform to be able to do that. And as long as the, the assets are vetted and high quality, then there's no reason why once you built the infrastructure, you can't offer all of those things. Yes, just on iCapital, you raised this large round of financing. Talk a little bit about that and what this means for the, the future of iCapital. When you think about our assets, they're long-lived assets, as we talked about before in the context of liquidity. And so it's very important for our partners to see us as being incredibly well-financed with a very strong capital base from very strong investment partners. I think we now have a very strong capital base. And that financing was very helpful to that. We've continued to make acquisitions that fit into the service offerings that we want to add. And so that financing helps with the acquisitions we might make. And so we feel like we're well positioned for our continued growth. Last year was a really large year for us in terms of both organic uh, growth in assets in excess of 20 billion, as well as two very important acquisitions of Artivest, an excellent technology company in the industry, as well as the Wells Fargo platform, which we're super excited about. And, and we recently announced uh, the acquisition of AI Insight, which is the education and compliance functionality I, I just mentioned. We think we're pulling together great products and services to offer out to the market, but you need to be well capitalized to be able to be opportunistic and to add acquisitions to your organic growth path. So I want to wrap by, by asking you a question more, a little bit more about you. you've experienced the building of a lot of businesses in your career. 
And you started out in more mainstream, you were running tech banking at Goldman Sachs in the 1990s. And I think one indicator of an asset class or an industry going mainstream is when you get people who've seen success in traditional worlds decide to go and build businesses in in what may be more alternative worlds, and then they're helping them go mainstream. But that's a big signal. So what are some of the unique challenges you've seen and gone through in building a company that's pioneering a new way to invest after seeing so much before all of this? We operate in a highly regulated environment. We're regulated by FINRA. We're regulated by the SEC. As I grew up at Goldman Sachs, obviously, I think Goldman prides itself on trying to do the right thing and really be very thoughtful about what it does and be very thoughtful and caring about the customer's success and customer outcome. And as we've grown iCapital, I think one of the things we've been very focused on doing is bringing in people with very significant experience base and track record at other successful financial services firms and building a team of people with a lot of experience is exactly what you have to do. And I think sometimes entrepreneurial companies, they don't always go out and get the experience base that you need to get. And we've tried to be very balanced around bringing in outstanding technologists, people with great entrepreneurial background to come in and to really bring that uh, feeling and that experience. But we think equally, if not a little bit more important in our case, is to bring in people with great track records at at Goldman Sachs, at BlackRock, at Blackstone, at Credit Suisse, at Morgan Stanley, et cetera, so that our clients know that we've walked in their shoes, we understand what their issues are, and the management team is thoughtful about trying to provide those solutions. And and I think the the reality of, and I, I remember back in the very early days of the internet when we were taking Yahoo Public and Netscape days. And I think as that bubble was building, you were either an internet company or you weren't. And there was this really bright line between the two. And the reality is that there's no such thing as, in my opinion, you're either an internet company or you're not. You're either a company that embraces technology and understands how technology can change your industry, and you're willing to go do that. That doesn't mean you're also not a mature company with mature executives who really have experience. I I think it's a false choice to go after one or the other. I think it's incumbent on on us and any company to be willing to incorporate technologies, to be willing to change the way you do things and break it if there's a better way to do it so that you can do a better job of serving your clients over a long period of time. It feels like that's what's going to make... Alts become more institutionalized and alts go mainstream by bringing together the best of experience with the best of technology and innovation, which you've certainly done. So Lawrence Calcano, thank you for being on the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast and look forward to seeing you continue to make alts go mainstream. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Nice to talk to you. Same here. We're going